People have said the Houston Astros might have six aces on their staff. Well, the team with the aces this weekend was certainly the Baltimore Orioles, as they get a huge series win in Houston against the best team in the American League. I'll recap the weekend series win for the O's and where it puts them moving forward, coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Monday, August 29th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, I'm going to recap a huge, huge series win for the Orioles over the weekend as they go into Houston against the Astros, the best team in the American League, and take two out of three games to win the series. I'll get you my three big takeaways from the weekend, but guess what? They're all going to be about the three starting pitchers. Kyle Bradish, Dean Kramer, and Austin Foth were magnificent this weekend for the Orioles, and I'll recap it all coming up on this episode of the podcast. But before we get there, just did want to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. We're free and available on all podcast listening platforms. Only place you'll get Orioles Big League content every day, Monday through Friday, every single week. That's five episodes a week. Make sure to subscribe and follow the pod wherever you listen and hit that red subscribe button right here on the Locked on Orioles YouTube page. Like and comment on the videos as well to keep yourself in the conversation. We thank you so much for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. And for your first listen today, Orioles take two of three from the Houston Astros at Minute Maid Park this weekend. Just a huge weekend for the O's as they get themselves to 67 and 60 on the season. And they gain a little bit of ground in the wild card race. You know, I had talked about coming into this weekend, the Orioles had won three consecutive series. They had actually, in that time, though, lost a game in the wild card standings just because everybody else was winning. Well, that was not necessarily the case. This weekend, the O's got a whole lot of help. They got the Red Sox to help them out, taking two of three from the Rays. They really got the Angels to help them out, who swept the Blue Jays in Toronto this week. And that was maybe the biggest series outside of the games the Orioles were playing in for the O's. I mean, put your hands together for the Angels, who just seemed dead in the water, and they go in and sweep Toronto. Now, they didn't get much help from Cleveland, as Seattle took three of four from the Guardians. But... The O's are just a game and a half back of the Blue Jays going into Monday. They are two and a half back right now of Seattle, and they are three back of the Rays. As we are about to hit September, the O's are right in this race. But I'm going to get you my three big takeaways from the Orioles' series win in Houston this weekend. And my first big takeaway, well, here's a little hint. All three of my takeaways are going to be starting pitchers. Number one, Kyle Bradish. While maybe the, not the most dominant start of his career, because we saw what he did in St. Louis back in May, this was the best, most well-put-together start we have seen from Kyle Bradish. And we knew that this Kyle Bradish was in there, and he showed it in a dominant start in Houston on Friday night. Bradish goes in there against a top-five offense in baseball, an Astros team that was 42-18 and 18 at home coming into this series, and Kyle Bradish just dominates him, just absolutely 
dominate some eight scoreless innings for Bradish in the longest start of his career. He allowed just two hits. He struck out six and walked just two. And it took him just 96 pitches to get through eight innings, dropping his ERA to 5.63 on the season. And here's the you know the best part about it. 96 pitches. Kyle Bradish has been at 96 pitches in the fifth inning in really most of his starts this year. He struggled just to get through five because I wouldn't say he has control issues, a little bit of, of command issues from time to time. Even when he gets outs, he works counts too long, doesn't put guys away at 0-2, takes it to 2-2, two and 3-2 two, and two before he gets outs. That was not an issue on Friday night. He rolled through guys, and as Brandon Hyde said after the game, you know, Bradish was through the seven scoreless. He said it wasn't a tough decision to send him back out there for the eighth, where Bradish went out there and got a 1-2-3 eighth. He said the tough decision was whether or not he sent Bradish back out there for the ninth inning at 96 pitches. And had he gone back out there, he was going to face, you know, a lot of the meat of the order for the Astros. 2-3-4 was coming up. I think that was the big reason why Hyde went to the bullpen, and the bullpen between CNL Perez and Dylan Tate got it done to secure a 2-0 Orioles victory on Friday. But, I mean, just the slider. The slider from Kyle Bradish was just absolutely cooking. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you've heard me talk about this in regards to Kyle Bradish, how good his breaking stuff is, and really how bad his fastball has been this year. And I continue to call for Bradish to throw more and more breaking balls. And he's done it a little bit recently, but the command's been off. So you can't throw too many sliders when you don't have your best command. Well, like he did in that start against the Cardinals when he struck out 11 batters over seven innings in May, he had pretty elite slider command on Friday night. He threw 49 sliders of his 96 pitches. That was 51% sliders, by far his most used pitch. He got 13 whiffs on that slider alone on 29 swings. It was about 87 to 89 on the night. And 13 whiffs on one single pitch from an Orioles starting pitcher is the most anyone has had since May of 2021. When John Means with his changeup in the no-hitter he threw against Seattle, he had more than 13 whiffs on that changeup. That's how good Kyle Bradish was with the slider on Friday night. He did drop it in for a called strike four times, but it was the swings and misses, not just out of the zone, but in the zone as well, that made him so good. And listen, 51% sliders, obviously the biggest percentage he's thrown. Number two in slider percentage was right around 36%. You know what start that was? The start in St. Louis, his other amazing start in May when he struck out 11 and didn't walk anyone over seven innings of work. So a little bit of a pattern there. When Kyle Bradish has the slider command, he can throw it more than any other pitch. It's a dominant pitch, and it can get hitters out. Because, listen, Kyle Bradish, you know, he's still going to throw a four-seam fastball. He still threw 33 four-seamers. He basically went slider fastball. It was 49 sliders, 33 four-seamers, and then he threw nine curveballs and five change-ups on the night. He was essentially a, a two-pitch pitcher. And he got four whiffs on the fastball, and the velo was a little up. But according to StatCast run value, which is a good stat that kind of shows how good or bad a pitch is and tries to, to put it into context on how many runs that pitch is costing you, it's not a direct correlation, but it's a solid way to compare one guy's fastball to another guy's breaking ball, per se. Kyle Bradish's four-seam fastball with a negative 17 run value going into play on Friday 
was the fourth worst pitch in all of Major League Baseball. Of all the pitchers and all the pitches they throw, Bradish's fastball was the fourth worst pitch in baseball. That's how bad it's been. So you throw it a season low 34% of the time, and guess what? It works a little better, and for the first time all year, and I get that some of this is because, hey, if you throw a pitch less, you're less likely to give up a hit on it. But for the first time all season, Bradish did not allow a hit on his four-seam fastball in this game. You add that to what the slider did, and you can throw in the curveball and the changeup every now and then. It was good, good stuff from Kyle Bradish. But his changes were not just the pitch usage. He also talked about after the game some other changes he has made, and most importantly, he has changed where he stands on the rubber. His entire career, dating back to when he was pitching at New Mexico State, he had pitched from the third base side of the rubber. He has moved himself over to the first base side of the rubber. It's interesting to see how that has played with some of his pitches. You know, he, he worked it in his last start and was there the entire time on Friday night. Obviously, that works out for him. And if you watch him pitch and you go to StatCast and you look at his release point, his release point has been different these last couple of starts, just where he throws the ball from, than in any of his other starts earlier this year. His horizontal release is different. And he's essentially just, if you put the videos together, he's throwing from a little bit of a different spot and it's working better. And I've talked about how good the stuff is, kind of minus the four-seamer, although it still has good velocity for a starting pitcher. If he's going to have this slider and have this command, and then he can work the fastball as a secondary pitch, and he can toss in the curve when it changed in time, he's a different pitcher. He's a go-to guy for the Orioles down the stretch, and he's not going to throw eight scoreless every time. He's going to walk more batters. He still has a little bit of command issues, but he certainly figured out something, and that is huge for the Orioles. And then Friday night, yeah, they didn't get a lot of offense, but it was enough. And what was enough? A Ramon Arias two-run homer in the sixth inning that broke the tie, put the Orioles up to nothing. I mean, Arias crushed this ball onto the train tracks in left field, 105 off the bat, 389 feet for his 14th home run. And then Bradish gets the eight scoreless, and the Oriole bullpen come in and, and does the job. And, of course, it couldn't have ended any other way on Friday night. You know, CNL Perez gets two outs but allows two base runners on. So it's first and second, two down, a 2 nothing lead, bottom nine. And Trey Mancini stepping up to the plate. Dylan Tate comes into the game, and Tate strikes him out on three pitches, back-to-back -back nasty sliders to get him. And the O's got a huge 2 nothing win in game one. But the script for game two on Saturday kind of went the same way with a dominant deep start from Dean Kramer. And coming up next, we'll take a look at Kramer's start and how he just kind of followed up Bradish to continue dominating the Astros order. But first, before we get there, just want you to, for a second, sit back and picture this. Now, you know, it's never okay to drive stoned. If you feel different, you drive different. Drive high and get a DUI. It's never okay to drive stone. You put yourself and others in danger. If you've been using marijuana in any form, do not get behind the wheel. If you feel different, you drive different. Drive high and get a DUI. Are you one of those people who thinks it's okay to drive stone? What's the worst that can happen? You end up driving below the speed limit? It's no big deal, right? Wrong. The truth is your reaction times slow way down when you're high. You not only put yourself in danger, but everyone around you. Talk about a buzzkill. 
So stop kidding yourself. It's not okay to drive high. If you've been using marijuana in any form, do not get behind the wheel. If you feel different, you drive different. Drive high, get a DUI. So we're talking Orioles and Astros as the O's go in and get a huge series win in Houston, taking two out of three. And we talked about the Friday night game, Kyle Bradish's performance to get game one. But the O's clinched the series on Saturday. And it was Dean Kramer who followed up Kyle Bradish in this game and pitched almost as well as Bradish did. Kramer on Saturday night. Seven and two-thirds innings of work from Dean Kramer. He allows just one run on four hits, striking out three without walking anyone in the game. 96 pitches to get through seven and two-thirds. Kramer lowered his ERA to 3.24 on the season. And for Dean Kramer, look, it wasn't the same dominant stuff that Bradish had Friday night. He did not have a pitch like Bradish's slider that were, you know, completely fooling any hitters. That just was not the case in this game. However, Dean Kramer, I think, mixed his pitches and mixed five pitches better than he has all season. You're thinking five pitches. Hasn't he been a four-pitch pitcher? Well, we mentioned this in Kramer's last start. He has kind of slid in a sinker to his fastball repertoire. And now, on Saturday, his sinker, his pretty new sinker, was his second most used pitch. Now, he was very cutter-heavy. And Early in Kramer's career, the cutter was the pitch at times. Then it became a problem pitch in 2021, but the cutter is kind of being back to being a go-to pitch for Kramer. And of his 96 pitches, he threw 38 cutters. That's 40% of the time, by far, his most used pitch on the day. And listen, he only got six whiffs on 45 swings. He was not getting a lot of swings and misses. But four of those six whiffs did come on his cutter. The velo was up. It was averaging about 99, topped out at 91 with that cut fastball, which is a good velo on that pitch. And he was able to, you know, jam some lefties, run it away from righties. And he was in the strike zone a lot with that pitch, and it worked out for him. But then you look at the mix beyond that pitch. So it was 38 cutters. Then he goes 18 sinkers, 15 changeups, 13 four-seamers, and 12 curveballs to make up the 96 pitches that Kramer threw on Saturday. And that's a really interesting mix by him because there's been times this year where he's gone heavy cutter four-seamer and then just kind of barely thrown the changeup and the curve. But now he's got that sinker in there. He's throwing more changeups. He's throwing more curveballs. He has that same kind of 2020 level confidence that he has in that big overhand 12-6 curveball. And listen, the changeup was his third most used pitch. The changeup really didn't do anything for him on Saturday. It was actually very interesting to see a pitch that you throw 15 times really not do much. He did not get a swing and miss on that pitch. He only got one called strike on that pitch. He got two foul balls and one changeup was put in play. So generally, when he threw the changeup, it was out of the zone. And most of the time, the Astros hitters did not chase that pitch. But you would like it to obviously be a little more effective if it's going to be his third most used pitch. You know, if he's going to throw it 15 times, that's a good chunk. But at the very least, you know, if it's going to get better, hopefully it does and it becomes more effective. But at the very least, if hitters are thinking about that changeup, because they really haven't had to think about it. I mean, he's thrown it, you know, five or six times each start for most of the year. If they've got to think about it a little more and know he'll go to it at any time, that makes him just a little bit better. And now they got to think about, well, the fastball's more of a sinker than a four-seamer. And he's throwing more curveballs. Maybe he'll drop one of those in there. And Dean Kramer almost had a very Spencer Watkins-like start 
with the fact that Kramer just has better raw stuff than Watkins, so he can pitch even deeper into a game where he basically throws five different pitches at you. He cuts it, he sinks it, he drops a big curve, he goes with the cutter. Whatever he does, he just throws everything at you at different times. You never know what's coming. And yeah, it doesn't result in maybe a lot of strikeouts. Three strikeouts, six whiffs, that's not a lot. But what he does do is he keeps you off balance. And that is what Kramer did all night to these Astros hitters. And, you know, he did give up a run, which Bradish didn't in the seventh inning, but he bared down after giving up that run, got out of the seventh, actually pitched into the eighth and, and gave himself seven and two-thirds innings. And then he allowed Felix Bautista to come in and just shut the door. Bautista comes in after a two-out single by Mancini in the bottom of the eighth in a 3-1 game. Bautista comes in, easy work, retires all four batters he faces for a four-out save with three strikeouts, took him just 15 pitches. Just nasty stuff once again from Felix Bautista to get the save and lock down an Orioles 3-1 win on Saturday, get them the series as well. And once again, just like Friday, it was the long ball. And not many of them, but it was just enough. Now, it was two homers for the O's on Saturday, and they both came in the same inning. They jumped on Jose Urquidy, the Astros starter, in the third inning. Anthony Santander crushed one for a two-run homer uh, in the third to make it 2-0, 103 off the bat, 394 feet to right field. And then Austin Hayes uh, went up onto the train tracks as well, 103 off the bat, 397 for a solo homer later in that third to make it a 3-0 game. And they got just enough. And they got themselves the series. And again, I was much more impressed by Bradish than I was with Kramer. But I still like what you have from Kramer there. If he's just going to throw a bunch of different stuff at you. And you have to think down the line, more of those pitches are going to be more effective. And that makes him even better. Because not everybody has to be this two-pitch Kyle Bradish big stuff. Just throw my best pitch again and again. Guys can be like Spencer Watkins and Dean Kramer and throw the kitchen sink. And I actually think it helps the Orioles' rotation right now that they have a lot of different guys. They've got Jordan Lyles, your veteran guy, your innings eater. He has his pitches he goes through, but he's got a lot of stuff. you got Kramer and Watkins. You know, they're trying to figure out what works, throwing different stuff at you every time, keeping you off balance. Then you got Kyle Bradish. He's the big stuff guy. He'll get the strikeouts. He's going to go maybe slider, slider, slider. And the same thing with Austin Voth, who we're going to talk about next, who has refined his pitches. He's the big data guy, the big analytics guy, big spin rate guy. And yeah, maybe he's not going to go seven. But he did pitch into the seventh on Sunday. And despite an Orioles loss, he gave the O's a chance to win. And coming up next, we'll take a look at Austin Voth, who finished off the weekend with a great start of his own. So we're recapping Orioles and Astros as the O's take two of three from the Strohs. Now, they were not able to get the sweep on Sunday. After a 2-0 win Friday, a 3-1 win on Saturday, the Orioles fell 3-1 to in the Sunday game. Still got two out of three in the series, but were not able to sweep. But still, Austin Voth showed a whole lot for the Orioles on Sunday. Now, Voth did not get through seven innings, like, of course, Bradish did with eight innings. Kramer did with seven and two-thirds. And Jordan Lyles did on Thursday night when Lyles allowed the one-earned run over seven innings against the White Sox. And those three consecutive seven-plus inning starts from Lyles Thursday Bradish Friday and Kramer Saturday. It was the first time that the Orioles had had a starter go seven or more innings in three consecutive games since July 31st through August 2nd of 2017, when Ubaldo Jimenez, Dylan Bundy, and Jeremy Hellickson each went seven plus three starts in a row. Shout out to Nathan Ruiz of the Baltimore Sun for getting that stat out 
on Saturday night. And Voth, he tried to make it four in a row with seven innings. And the Orioles, well, it would have been something special had they done that as well. They weren't quite able to do it with Voth, but he still pitched incredibly well in the Sunday game. Austin Voth goes six-plus innings, allowing just one earned run on one hit. He struck out four and walked three with 94 pitches, which was a season high for Voth, and he continues to lower that Oriole ERA. Just four hard-hit balls against Austin Voth, and only that one run came because you know he was just over 80 pitches. Oriole set him back out there in the bottom of the seventh, which I thought was a good move. Voth was rolling along, and they had him Pitched Alex Bregman, went 3-2, and two, just missed inside with a 3-2 curveball for a leadoff walk. Brandon Hyde went to the bullpen, just didn't work out. Orioles ended up giving up two runs in the seventh, one in the eighth. But back to both, I mean, the stuff continues to be magnificent. I mean, it's like it's basically a 2-5 ERA with the Orioles now after a 10 ERA with the Nationals. He's a completely different pitcher. And what we saw first and foremost was the curveball was the top pitch. He went to the curveball more than any other pitch, but he really mixed his stuff well. Now, he threw 94 pitches, 28 curveballs was his most used pitch. Threw it 30% of the time, and that was the most. He basically almost threw a quarter of each pitch, 25% each pitch. It was 28 curveballs, 26 four-seamers, 21 cutters, and 19 sweeper sliders from Austin Voth on Sunday. And that curveball had it working. Four of his 10 whiffs came on the curveball. Four whiffs on just nine swings. Wasn't getting as many chases as he gets from time to time on that big, slow curveball, but it was still nice to see him throw it as much as he did. Then he threw the fastball, which the velo was a little down. He was averaging about 92-93. He's usually 93-94 with the fastball, so just a little something to look at with the four-seamer, but he got four whiffs on that pitch, too, was working it up in the zone nicely despite the slight velo drop, and then, you know, he had been throwing the changeup a little bit, you know, two, three, four, five times a game since coming over to the Orioles, the changeup was not there. He threw 21 cutters, which he was able to drop into the strike zone. It was a nice kind of get-me-over pitch. And then, we've talked about it, Austin Voth adding that sweeper slider that, no pun intended, has swept across baseball, especially here in 2022. It's a pitch he's added over the last few weeks with the help of Chris Holt. He's kind of dropped it in from time to time over his last couple of starts. But he went full-fledged sweeper on Sunday. And, you know, I get it was still his fourth most used pitch. But to go from throwing three or four of them to throwing 19 of them in maybe your best start of the year, that is something. And again, he only got one whiff. He only got one called strike on the sweeper. It was fouled off twice. It was put into play four times, so it was in the strike zone. And he still needs to hone in that pitch, you know, with that sweeper slider that goes from right to left more than, than any other usual slider. But it worked. It helped his repertoire. And it helped him get through the six scoreless innings. And again, it was unfortunate that he ended up walking Bregman to lead off the seventh and then left the game and ended up being charged with an earned run. But he still pitched incredibly well in this game. And just, I mean, I think Austin Voth is right up there right now for the best waiver claim that Mike Elias has made since taking over as Orioles GM late in 2018. I mean... You can't deny how good he's been and how much he has helped and, and kind of at times saved this Oriole rotation since coming over from the Nationals. And obviously a guy like Jorge Mateo is up there with the waiver claims and, and what Jorge Lopez did this year as well. But both as a starter, the O's haven't really gotten that from a starting pitcher in terms of a waiver claim. And he's just been great. And I'm pretty confident sending Austin Voth out there every five days at this point. I mean, who would have thought? I mean, the Nationals just completely missed on this one and the Orioles have certainly capitalized. Now, unfortunately, despite another great start, 
the O's were not able to win the Sunday game. And I've kind of talked about with the home runs and the bullpen being the reason why the O's could sneak by and win Friday and Saturday. They lost 3-1 to one on Sunday because those things did not come. First of all, they did not get any offense in this game until the ninth inning. The O's had a couple of chances to score, just some weird base running plays with Chirinos and Mullins on a tag up in the third. And then you had the Jorge Mateo trying to stretch a double into a triple and just had a bad slide in the fifth inning, got thrown out at third base. I think he might have been safe, but replay did not overturn it. And then, you know, you just have them leaving some base runners on. Like in the first inning, they get first and third. Nobody out against Justin Verlander, can't score. And then really the big thing, you know, Justin Verlander throws three scoreless innings with six strikeouts. Then he leaves the game with a calf injury, and the Astros go to the bullpen. Seth Martinez comes out of the Astros' pen in the fourth inning, and you're thinking, wow, Verlander's been striking everybody out. He's out of the game after three. It's time to pounce. And the Orioles just did not do that until the ninth inning. And trust me, it was nice to see the O's rally in the ninth. Santander doubled. You get an Austin Hayes RBI single. Kyle Stowers with a pinch hit single. All of a sudden, you know, the O's had Rugnet Odor up, down 3-1 to one with two on and two out. If Odor hits one into the gap, it ties the game. If he leaves the yard, the Orioles have the lead in the top of the ninth. He strikes out on a, a pretty good 3-2 changeup from Rafael Montero, who locked down the save for the Astros. And, you know, their bullpen, as I talked about Friday, been in a little bit of a rut here. Ryan Presley, their dominant closer, is on the injured list. They've had to kind of piece together the eighth and ninth inning. They did enough to get the Orioles out. But, you know, the offense, I think, probably mostly to blame for Sunday. I mean, if you only score one and you don't do it till the ninth inning, you're not going to win many baseball games. But it was a little rough to see what the Oriole bullpen did once both left because Brian Baker came into the game in the seventh inning, ended up giving up a double, put it second and third, got a big strikeout, but then a two-run single from Yuli Gurriel made it 2 nothing Astros, and then he allows another base hit, comes out of the game. Joey Crable comes in, hit batter, and then a big strikeout with the bases loaded, but then Crable allows a solo home run to Alex Bregman in the eighth, which made it 3 nothing. ended up being a really huge tack-on run for the Astros, and Crable ended up finishing out the eighth, but him and Baker have not looked good lately, and once again, they did not look good Sunday, and I know there was a lot of complaints about how the Orioles used the bullpen, because, you know, Felix Bautista... He was probably available. He did get four outs Saturday. And, you know, CNL Perez and Dylan Tate were, were both warming, obviously, in the bullpen on Sunday, did not come into the game. And I get that. But at the end of the day, you know, yeah, the O's maybe wouldn't have given up those three runs had Perez or, you know, Dylan Tate, who's been so great lately, pitched in the seventh or eighth innings. But here's what you got to remember the reason why the Orioles have a top five bullpen in baseball and the reason why the Orioles are a game and a half out of a playoff spot right now. A lot of that has to do with their bullpen and not just the back end guys, not just Felix Bautista and Dylan Tate and at times CNL Perez being dominant. The reason why the Orioles have had such great bullpen success is that the non high leverage guys have still gotten key outs. The Brian Bakers, the Joey Crables, the Nick Vespies, those guys have gotten some huge, huge outs. So far this season, the Keegan Akins as well got some huge outs for the Orioles in the first half of this season. But since the O's traded Jorge Lopez, and again, their closer situation probably got better putting Felix Bautista in there. But as I've talked about, it's not about just replacing the closer. It's replacing that last guy in the bullpen. Right now, that spot is held by Rico Garcia, who the Orioles don't plan to pitch unless it's a blowout. So what you have to do is when you now have Bautista in the ninth, and then you have kind of Tate and Perez as your other high leverage, you have to go to Crable and go to Baker and maybe go to a Vespi 
in more spots than you would like and go to a Keegan Aiken in bigger spots than you would like. And those guys early in the year, they had to do that too. Even with Jorge Lopez, there were still times when the bullpen got tired, especially because the starters early in the year were not pitching nearly as deep into the games as they are now. Those guys like Crable and Baker, they had to get some big outs. And you know what? They did that early in the year. They got some huge outs. The bullpen isn't being managed all that different right now, except for the fact that you're without one of your high leverage guys in Jorge Lopez since he was traded to the Twins and he wasn't really replaced with another high leverage arm to help you out. And so Brandon Hyde is still having to rely on guys sometimes like Joey Crable and like Brian Baker and like Keegan Aiken in some higher leverage spots here in the second half of the season. The issue is Aiken has been worse the entire second half. Crable the last couple of weeks has been worse. Baker the last couple of weeks has been worse. And they're just not pitching like they did early in the season. That's kind of the big thing with the bullpen right now because they've been thrust into more of these roles and they're struggling a little bit. You got to remember, this is Crable's first full year in a bullpen. You look at this Orioles' entire, entire bullpen. There is no reliever in the Orioles' bullpen. Even when they had Jorge Lopez, this was true. There is no O's reliever in this bullpen who has spent an entire season for a team in a bullpen. The closest was CNL Perez last year with the Reds, and even he spent some good chunks in AAA. Everybody in this pen is in their first full major league season in a big league bullpen. That's going to start to wear on guys as we get here, you know, to late August and into September. They're not going to be used to pitching in this many high leverage games. And when you combine that all together with the struggles, it's becoming tough. So that's why it was so huge this weekend that the O's got these great starts. But they're not going to get starts that great every single time out. And they're going to need the offense to pick it up. Listen, the O's got a huge series win in Houston somehow with only scoring six runs in three games. You're usually not going to get that lucky against a team as good as the Houston Astros. But I almost can't blame the bullpen for where they're at because they just have never been in this spot. None of these relievers have ever pitched a full big league season. And so at the end of the day, you know, it's going to be tough for them to get through this and somebody else is going to have to step up, whether it be a Nick Vespi maybe steps up or a Brian Baker finds it again. Or, you know, we see a DL Hall later this week in the bullpen. Maybe he steps up and pitches well out of the pen, but somebody's going to have to do it to get this team to the finish line. But I will say, if the starters are going to pitch like they did this weekend, it's going to be easier for the Oriole bullpen to kind of catch up and even easier for Brandon Hyde to basically use Bautista, Tate, and Perez as much as he wants. Because the three stars this weekend, Kyle Bradish, Dean Kramer, Austin Voth, combined for 21 and two-thirds innings. They allowed just seven hits, just two earned runs, 13 strikeouts to five walks. If the starters are going to do that down the stretch, the Orioles are going to make the playoffs. And if the O's keep winning series like they've done, four series wins in a row. I know none of them have been sweeps, but it's four in a row. If they keep winning two out of three, they're going to be in the playoffs. They are right in this mix. And it is fun to watch. And if the offense can get going, it's going to be even more fun to watch for the O's. But they do get the day off here on Monday before going to Cleveland, a team that's been playing good baseball, but did just lose three out of four in Seattle. So maybe time to pounce on the Guardians this week in a three-game series. But I'll be back with you here on the pod tomorrow. We'll continue our 2022 Orioles draft pick profile series. We're going to take a look at the Texas guys that the Orioles got. The catcher, Silas Ardwan, and the outfielder, Douglas Hodo. Two picks on day two of the draft who have a lot of upside for the O's. We'll learn more about them and get you ready for the series against the Guardians coming up on tomorrow's episode. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, 
And this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.